0: Uh, thanks so much for coming uh, to, to Grace Church this morning. If you're new here, we are actually in the middle of a series. My name's Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, this series uh, that we talked about last week, I kind of opened up with a question for y'all. Um, and the question was, um, have you ever been to uh, a party? Maybe it was a work party. Maybe it was a party with your family Uh, where they did a gift exchange. And maybe it was a secret Santa, right? That's kind of like another term that they use, but secret Santa where you went to the party, you received some type of gift, right? And you opened that gift and you found that that gift was something that you didn't necessarily want. And so what did you do? You took it home, you acted like you appreciated the gift at the party. Um, and then the following Monday at work, you wore the gift. You wanted everybody to think, man, they really like that gift, even though you were not that thankful for the gift, right? And uh, I kind of related it to spiritually, uh, we can also do those things. Uh, maybe we, at one point in life, uh, we heard something that, about God or something about Jesus that we thought, well, that doesn't seem really right, right? but it was intended. It was a good person that gave it to you. And so you just thought, well, I'm gonna adopt that. I'm gonna make that my own. And you tried it on, could have been uh, legalism. It could have been religious type of thinking. Um, And it was awful. It was an awful experience. Maybe it was about God and he was angry at you. He was upset with you. And you're like, I'm just gonna wear this because I think that that's what's intended for me. And so um, what we did last week was we actually took time and we exchanged some of those thoughts. We traded out those thoughts. We, we looked at the word and tried to see, okay, even though that, that was well-meaning, that thought, um, how can we think differently about God? Let's open up some new gifts. And so um, we kind of opened up last week. The first gift that we kind of had a mix-up with was that God is a taker. Do you guys remember that? God is a taker. And then we looked at, in contrast, um, that God wasn't a taker, but that uh, the gift fix-up was that God was a giver. That I, I told you last week, if, if you go away with anything, it's that God gives. And then uh, we, we switched to the next gift, which was conviction of sin. And we had the, uh, the gavel. Do you guys remember this last week? was kind of an annoying gift. Nobody wanted this, right? But we kind of carried it anyways. We were convicted. We believed for years that we were convicted of our sin, and uh, that that sin was very open to convicted of, um, you know, not going to the gym enough, or convicted of not eating the right food, or convicted of not waking up early enough to worship, or whatever. Um, But we believed that, and we went to go trade that out last week. Do you guys remember that as well? We went to go trade that out, and it seemed as though we ran out of time. Did we run out of time? Do you guys think I actually ran out of time? Do you think I'm not that responsible? No, I'm responsible. It was planned. I had some people ask me, did you really run out of time? No, I did not. And so this week, I do want to open up. I want to change this gift out. I'm starting to get confused about where the gifts are. I'm getting confused myself. And so the gift I want to open up is right here. Again, I always go for the the big gift, because that's the best, right? Does this one look okay? That's the one? Okay, I'm going to go for this one, all right? So we're going to open this up. We're changing, trading this thought out for what do we have here? We have a, what is this? It's a robe. It's a robe. Am I going to try it on? No, I'm not going to try it on. I wore that jacket for you guys last week, and that's all you get, and we're not doing that. Um, But I I bring this up because we're trading it out. We're fixing up this gift to convincing of righteousness. So the second exchange that we want to make is convincing of righteousness. Why? Because we traded that word. We found that it meant, instead of conviction, a much better word was convincing. Romans 5.17 It says, for if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So um, for years, I believed that righteousness meant right living, right? I, I believe that it meant right living—that that we're to do things right in order to please God. And so, man, I gave it a good college try. Did anybody else give it a good college try? Where we're gonna we're gonna give it our all. We're gonna try and live right. We're gonna try and please God. We're gonna do all the right things so that God will will be uh, right with Him. And so, I, I found out that scripture says in Romans, it says that no one is righteous, no, not one. And I found that that word righteousness sounds like a, you know, like kind of like a server term, like righteous, but it actually means right standing with God. It means to be upright with God. And the question I have for today is, why do we call it a gift? Why do we call it the gift of righteousness? And I want to say it's because that we played no part in that gift. Isaiah 61.10, it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me. With the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. So it's called a gift because he covered, because he clothed us, right? Now, I actually believe the difficult part is that process. The difficult part is allowing him to do the work, to have done the work. We all want to play a part in our right standing with God. It's kind of like the prodigal son. Everybody remembers that story? Uh, Or or in the message translation, I believe calls it the good father. And it's the story where the son went ahead and received all of his inheritance early. And he went out and it says that he spent it on wild living. Now, I don't know what wild is, but maybe that's jumping out of a plane or uh, maybe that's jumping off of a mountain and parachuting. That's what I would consider wild living at this point in my life. Um, But he spent it on wild living and it it had gotten so bad that he spent everything that he had and he was eating with the pigs in the pig slop, right? And in scripture says that he came to himself, like he, he thought to himself and he remembered, man, even my father's servants back at home, they eat better than this. And so it said that he came to himself and he went back to his father's home. And I, and I told you guys just a couple of weeks ago that the father saw him from afar off and that he ran to him. And then you have this uh, conversation where the son is trying to repent and try, try to make himself right. And what I love about the father is he doesn't even pay any attention to the fact that the son is talking. He doesn't try to you know, listen to him or his heart's cry. Uh, no, the father actually just went ahead and told the servant to kill the fatted calf. Then he says, "Get the signet ring, which which represents his sonship." And then he said, um, "And then he said, and get my best robe. Get the best robe uh, at the house, right? And bring that out. And he clothed them with that best robe." Now, Second Corinthians five twenty one, it says, "God made him." who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. His best robe is his righteousness. He, God is as, as good of standing with himself as he could ever be. And so what he did was he realized he's, we're going to need this. And so he gave us his very righteousness. As right as God is with himself... That's how right we are as believers with him. Uh, I want to go to John 16. We kind of opened this up last week. I want to go back to it. John 16, 8, we start with and It says, and the helper, which is the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict. We talked about that word meaning convince. The world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me and concerning righteousness because i go to the father and you no longer see me and and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged we're not going to get into that last part but that's a great part of that verse as well but why do we need a helper or a, or the holy spirit to convince us Of righteousness. Why do we need that? I believe it's because we, too, are like the prodigal son, and we want to play a part in our right standing with him. We want to make it our best effort to try and please God. For years, I used to say, man, I want to be like Jesus, where God said that this is my good and faithful son, and in him I'm well pleased, only to realize that later God was pleased with me the whole time. Um. John 14, 26, it says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He says the words in this verse, teach and remind us. What does he need to teach and remind us of? That we can't earn our righteousness with him. We can't do anything. And as believers, we have to be reminded, oh yeah, I have nothing to do. I I play no part in this right standing with him. Why? Because it is a gift. Aren't you guys glad it's a gift and we can't earn it? Amen? So let's see what else is under the tree. We We wanna go to the next gift. Don't you guys wanna open up another gift? I feel like that was fun, but we kinda need, I think... It's this one. Again, I might be getting mixed up, so forgive me. Um, but this next gift that I have here, it's kind of a strange one, is a magnifying glass. Man, I've been, I've been asking for a ma- Have you guys been asking for a magnifying glass? Yeah, I've been asking for a magnifying glass as well. But the, the next mix-up that we received years ago, I believe, that uh, I want to talk about this morning, the third mix-up is to observe the Sabbath. We're to observe the Sabbath, okay? So I don't know if you've ever experienced people that observe the Sabbath. Um, If you are one of those people, that's okay. We're going to talk about it a little bit this morning. Uh, But I ran into somebody after Bible school, after I'd already been to a legalistic uh, church for years, um, I ran into somebody that practiced the Sabbath. And I was at their house And, you know, I kind of have a landscape background, so weeds kind of bother me at people's houses. And it's really rude of me, but I go pick people's weeds sometimes, okay? (laughs) So if I'm at your house and I start picking your weeds, you just got to forgive me. It's like kind of an instinct thing, right? And I went to go do that at this person's house. You guys think I'm weird. I know. I get it. Um, So I, I went to go do it, and this person yelled at me, and he's like, don't do that. It's the Sabbath. And I was like so confused. I was like, what is the Sabbath. I thought that was from, like, years ago. So they went and explained to me the whole process of the Sabbath and how you're to observe the Sabbath and to pick a day that you want to rest and all of these things. Um, And, again, first off, if you practice the Sabbath, if you observe the Sabbath, I'm not going to tell you to stop. I think keep observing it. Everybody kind of needs a break, right? Don't we? Um, but the, um, I put it kind of in the same camp as baptism, as tithing, as communion, which we practice all of those things here at this church, but these are just pictures, these are just shadows of the things that Jesus was going to bring. Uh, has anybody ever been to uh, the Disney boardwalk? Anybody ever been to the Disney boardwalk in here, Right? I had never been to the Disney boardwalk. I had never heard of it. I I grew up going to Disney, and for some reason, my parents did not go beyond the multiple parks. I figured that was enough uh, Disney World for us, right? And so, probably about eight months ago, my wife told me about this this place where you now take the, I think it's the Skyliner, is that right, guys? Skyliner, where you take it over and you go to the Disney boardwalk. And when I got to the Disney boardwalk, it was probably like seven o'clock at night, it was dark. It was beautiful right? I was like, wow, this is just amazing. I feel like I'm in a dream. And it kind of took me back. I'm like, this place feels like it's been mimicked off of something. And come to find out that they, they tried to copycat uh, Coney Island, okay? And you can, I, I've never been to Coney Island, but I've seen enough movies, I've seen documentaries about Coney Island that I thought, okay, this is pretty daggone close, probably without the smells and all the other things that you get at Coney Island, just the, the best of it, right? And so... But what I realized is that's just a picture of the actual place. And that's what Jesus and God were trying to show us through all of these pictures. You can even see a picture back in Genesis 2.2. We're going to read this. It says, and on the seventh day, God finished his work. Does that sound familiar to you all? That he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Can you see Jesus in there? Can you see the picture of Jesus even back to the beginning of the earth, right? Uh, Exodus 20 actually does give us a command to rest on the seventh day. But my question about that is, do you all think that God worked really hard and then he needed a break? Do you guys think he got tired and he's like, man, I need to sit back. I need kind of a recliner chair. I'm tired. That was a lot of work to do all of that. No, um, I don't think that he was trying to, um, to show us that. The Sabbath commandment was for us to do the same, not to work like crazy and then take a break and then to work like crazy and then to take a break and then to work like crazy and then to chill out. What was he showing us in this? I kind of look at a, I compare it to Matthew 12. You guys know the story of Matthew 12, where uh, Jesus is walking through the field, and the disciples start to get hungry. Do you guys remember the story? They start to get hungry, and they start picking crops and they start eating things that are out in the field. Well, the religious people of the day they freak out, <laughs> just like my friend about the landscaping, right? And they say it is the Sabbath, Jesus. They are not observing the Sabbath. And Jesus responds to them. And I think he probably said it pretty feistily. And he said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, why would he say that? I think it's because the, the religious people, they were observing. They were looking too close at the details. They were looking and saying, oh, my goodness, like, they're not observing. They're not doing all the right things. And Jesus responds with, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, you guys remember the the Disney boardwalk story, right, where I just told you uh, that I went there. Now, I did get a little bit closer, and I looked in some of the windows only to find out that there was storage in those windows, right, right? And I looked down at the wood, and that's all artificial wood. I walked over to the grass, and the grass was artificial. Then you walk around the buildings, and you realize there's an entire resort here at this Disney boardwalk. And I I get it, but what I believe was happening was it wasn't the real thing. It wasn't what what, what it was meant for, and that's how the Sabbath was, was it was meant to just show us a picture of the real thing. The day of rest was only just a picture and a hint of what Jesus brings. So I want to trade this gift out. I want to trade this gift out. You guys ready to trade? Again, we're going to go for the bigger one, okay? We're going to go and trade this gift out. The stage will be a disaster by the time I'm done. And my wife brought my very own pillow that I use every night. Right? I know. What is that? That's what I ask every night when I go to sleep, but, uh, and what I want to exchange this for is true rest. I want to exchange this gift, I want to do a fix-up to true rest. Hebrews 4.11, it says, so then we must be eager to experience this faith rest life so that no one falls short by following the same pattern of doubt and unbelief. Now, this was obviously a Jewish writer, and he was writing to a Jewish audience, but I still still believe that believers, even though we receive Jesus, even though we know the goodness of God, there still is some type of reminding. There still is some type of entering. We still can think that it's up to us. To observe, to focus, to intently obey everything that is in, in the Bible, only to realize that God did all the obeying and were to rest. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight, and the message, you guys have heard us say this here before, but it says, Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. The Lord of the Sabbath says, Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. What I want to point out is that it's not a day. It's not a weekend, it's not a vacation, it's not a, hey, I think we're not taking enough breaks and we need to step back. It's an attitude, it's a paradigm shift, it's a new perspective. Uh, The story of uh, Mary and Martha I love, I'm going to kind of quote some of it and then we'll try to hop to some of the scriptures. But um, you know the story of Mary and Martha where they head back to Martha's house. And Martha is busy. She's kind of freaking out. She's got the Lord of the harvest. She's got Jesus at her house. And so she's straightening things up. Uh, She's probably straightening up the kitchen. She's doing everything uh, busyness that she can do. And she gets to the point where she's so mad about doing all the work that she's doing that she kind of scolds Jesus a little bit. And she said, Jesus, will you tell uh, Mary to get in here and help me? She's not doing her part. And I love Jesus. He responds to her. He says her name. He says, Martha, Martha, this is in verse 41. He said, but the Lord replied to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered and anxious about so many things. Are any of you guys worried and anxious and bothered about so many things I know I can be, but only one thing is necessary for Mary has chosen the good part, that which is to her advantage, and it says, which will not be taken away from her. This rest that God provides will not be taken away from you. Even with Jesus in the room, though, Martha still had to be reminded to rest. And I would say even with Jesus in our lives, even though we've accepted the good news, it's still good for us to be reminded to rest in him. And that's what the Holy Spirit's job is. We're kicking butt and we are taking names. Wouldn't you guys say? We are rocking and rolling. We are trading gifts. I'm ready to open up another one. Let's see, we're gonna start over here. Oh man, this one looks like a good one. Oh, well, that's kind of disappointing. It is coal, man. I was I thought I was pretty good this year. I'm not very excited about that. Does anybody want coal this morning? I'll, I'll put it here for you guys that want it. Okay, I'm not interested. Um, but I, I I bring up coal because the fourth mix-up that we have is conditional forgiveness of sins. Conditional forgiveness of sins. Now, how many of you have ever heard the story about coal? Have you guys ever heard that some of that is actually, there's some true stories about coal, and uh, one of the, well, it's, some of it's a myth about St. Nick, and that he w- would go to people's houses, and he'd find out before he got there uh, which children were good and which ones were not so good, and then he would actually put good presents in the good kids, and he'd put a lump of coal in the, the naughty kids, Okay. And then that kind of carried on because of the myth that carried on into other countries to the point that the parents actually did practice this. Now, there's a sad part of the story where there were some countries that they practiced it where they would put coal in the stocking. And that was actually a good thing because it was the only source of heat that they would have during the cold winters. But most of it is a myth. And I to, this morning, I want to give us five myths. I'm to kind of run through five quick myths about conditional forgiveness. You guys hang in there with me? Um, so these are like mini mix-ups. Okay, so the first myth that I have is God may forgive you. God may forgive you. I remember I was at youth group one time, and the youth pastor, somebody had... Um, gotten into a car accident at another church and we went to go pray for this young girl that had gotten into a car accident. And I remember the youth pastor praying and he said, man, it was like kind of like his after speech. He goes, man, I really hope that that girl asked for forgiveness before, you know, whatever. If she was to have died, she needed to ask for forgiveness. And I was confused. I was like, well, I thought she was a believer. He goes, yeah, but if you don't ask for forgiveness in that last moment of breath, I don't know that God would provide that for her. I went away as a young person being very confused. You kind of leave it up to chance, right? It's a 50-50 chance, depends on if you were really sorry. How many times have you told your kids, well you didn't say it, very, you weren't very sorry, we say it again, and then they have to say it again. Usually though, it's the oldest one and she wants to roll her eyes, but come on, you can do it, right? If we weren't really sorry, did God really forgive us? My question is, is when were our sins carried away? Okay. Myth two is God's forgiveness comes with price tags. God's forgiveness comes with price tags. And I think we get this from the Lord's Prayer, even where it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, which is compared compared to sins, and as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Right, but only to realize that Jesus was actually preaching conditional forgiveness. Why? Because he was still talking to an audience and operating under uh, the old law keeping covenant if you forgive, God will forgive you. But on the cross, Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law so that we might live under a new and better covenant of grace. I'm going to get to that in just a second, I'm going to come back to that. But I don't want to get too far ahead. So the third myth is God forgives in installments. God forgives in installments. Uh, past sins, he forgives. But as far as present and future, mm, not really sure. Uh, it's really up to you to be able to keep the slate clean after God forgave everything in the past. Now you have to First John 1, 9 this thing continually over and over again to make sure that everything is good with God. It kind of reminds me of the story of the woman that was caught in the act. Do you guys remember that story? And I remember the first time I heard it when I was young, um, you know, he, he, he says to her, he said, where are your accusers? And she said, there are none. He said to her, go and sin no more, okay? And when I was a young person, I was like, how in the world Is a woman like that ever going to not sin forever? And I've heard good, well-meaning people give me gifts, give me thoughts that now it's up to you. You've got to keep this whole thing perfect forever and ever and ever. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is too much. Uh, Myth four is God only forgives some people. God only forgives some people. I know Catholics believe that if you confess, then you'll be forgiven. And Protestants also believe this as well. Again, the 1 John 1, 9 thing. But what does God's word say about these myths? The fifth one is God forgives, but he never forgets. This is truly Santa Claus forgiveness. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's been. See? I didn't want to sing it, sorry. Um, Gift. Um, So I want to trade this gift of coal you guys can come get some after. This is the final trade-out. You guys hanging in there? For Oh, this is what I wanted, too. I wanted this. Wow. Uh, four, complete forgiveness of sins. So the final gift fix-up, which is the fifth one, is complete forgiveness of sins. You guys have all heard uh, the, the verse in Psalm 103, verse 12. It says, he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Some of that doesn't really make any sense. Unless you look at a globe, you can kind of see. Look, if you were to go north, eventually you go south. Does everybody believe that? Are we all good? I know we might have some flat earthers in here, but north <laughs> and south. The same. It still works. Same paradigm. Okay. Now, if you were to go east, you can forever go east. If you were to go west you would forever go west, and, and east and west never actually meet as long as you're heading in the same direction. Does that make sense? So to I wanna bust this myth. So the first myth of God may forgive you is the truth is God has forgiven you. God may forgive you. Look to the cross. He already did it. He already did it. First John 2.12, he says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. He even took his name and stamped the approval on there. Colossians 3.13, this goes back to that prayer that Jesus was having about our father, right, where it says, forgiving one another in the same way you have been graciously forgiven by Jesus Christ, Right, you, uh, If you find fault with someone, release this same gift of forgiveness to them. So he's saying, because you've been forgiven already, you can forgive. You don't forgive so that you can be forgiven. This is the new, uh, new covenant. The, the, go back to that second myth. God's forgiveness comes with price tags. The truth is, is no strings attached forgiveness. Okay, Ephesians 1, 7 through 10, it says, since we now are joined to Christ, we have been, everybody say have been, given the treasures of redemption by his blood, the total cancellation of our sins, all because the cascading riches of his grace. Myth three, God forgives in installments. Truth is, God forgave for all time. Romans 6.10, it says, for by his grace, or for by his sacrifice, he died to sin's power once and for all. You look that up in the Greek, guess what it means? Once and for all. Other translations say in perpetuity. In perpetuity means forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It's been grandfathered in. But he now lives continuously for the Father's pleasure. Ephesians one seven it says in Christ we are set free by the blood of His death and no we ha- we so we have forgiveness of sins how rich is God's grace myth four is God only forgives some people. Uh, Truth, the truth, the counter to that is the world means world. That's a really deep one. If you look up the word world in the Greek, it also means world, okay? John one twenty nine. it says, The very next day John saw Jesus coming to him to be baptized, and John cried out, Look, there, there he is, God's lamb. He takes away the sin of the entire world. Amen. To forgive means to carry or to take away sins. Jesus carried all our sins. There's no sin he did not bear. 1 John 2 2, it says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Myth 5, we're going to skip down to myth 5. God forgives, but never forgets. My point on that is, my counter is, God's not Santa. He's not making a list, he's not checking it twice. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus is not keeping a record of wrongs. There's not gonna be a film that's displayed at the end of our life. We're not gonna know any of those things because he has a forgetful memory only about our sins. Amen? The common denominator in all of this is God gives, I gave you guys that, God gives this week, God gives and we receive. If you get anything out of this week, I want you to know God gives and we receive. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with a story. I think I can get it done in time. But uh, how many of you guys like going to the, the Springs? Anybody ever been to the Springs in here? Uh, my kids love going to the Springs, um, which is unfortunate for us because we have to go to the Springs whenever they ask, okay? And uh, there was one Sunday afternoon that they said, hey, let's go to uh, Blue Springs. They picked it. I'm like, okay, we're going to Blue Springs. And so we went to Blue Springs. It was probably like 4 or 5 o'clock in the the evening. And when we get there, uh, there's really just... Us, and there's another family and there's a, a, another, like three families and the, the other family's far off in the distance. And this family that's close to us, they didn't speak much English, you could tell they were from somewhere else and they didn't, their English was really broken. And so they're talking to each other and they seem kind of nervous and we're confused, why are they so nervous, right? We're all just getting in this water, doesn't make any sense, my kids are nervous, they're not really swimming. Now I'm, uh, my goal is to stay dry, okay? I'm here to watch the kids, I don't wanna get wet. Well, uh, this girl hops on a Shamu dolphin-type float. You guys know what those are, right? She hops on this dolphin, which are somewhat precarious, and she hops on this. Then the two boys, who didn't look like they could swim at all, they swim out to this dolphin where this girl is at, and one of the boys actually knocks the girl off the dolphin, okay? Now, this is deep water. You can't touch the bottom. And I'm standing there. Of course, I'm as dry as can be. And my wife starts telling me, Matt, those people are drowning. Okay? Now, uh, I have a, a lifeguard background, um, but I'm dry, and I'm here to observe, and I don't want to get in the water. Okay? So I keep telling her, I'm like, it's fine. You don't have to worry about it. Uh, they're good. I told our staff this a couple weeks ago. Uh, and... Ruthie, she keeps yelling, Matt, they're drowning. And I'm saying, they're fine. They're going to figure it out. We don't. Okay. Meanwhile, they're all floating towards alligator-infested, darker waters. And look, I'm compassionate, but when you get into the alligator territory, it's kind of your fault, you know? Like, (laughs) I love you. I'll pray for you. But get over to the dry land, okay? Okay. And so I can tell they really are drowning. And the boy grabs a hold of the other side of the dolphin, the girls. So they're both only barely hanging on to this dolphin. So I, of course, throw my stuff down. I have to go in. I get over to this girl and I look at her. And you ever seen anybody drowning? They have glazed over eyes, okay? They're just, their eyes are this big. I look at her, I said, You've got to let go. She just keeps looking at me. I'm like, You have to let go. And so she finally lets go and grabs my arm, and she still won't let go of the other arm. I literally put my foot on the dolphin and rip her off the dolphin, bring her over to the dry land. I turn around, and the boy, for some reason, has completely kicked the dolphin over, and he's just swimming by himself, almost drowning like this, right? I swim out to him. Same thing. I said, Man, and he just, he just keeps saying the same thing over again. He's drowning. I'm drowning. I'm like, I know. I know you're drowning. We're trying to get back. You got to flip on your back and we're going to go in, right? Get the, get the dude in. Go save the dumb dolphin that was floating into alligator territory. Um, and I get, o- get over, I'm all dried off, and I look at him, I said, Do not get back in the water, people. Please do not. And I say that story to tell you that the only reason that they were okay was because they took what I was offering to them, right? They released which they received what I was giving them. And I could go through all these gifts, we could go through these gifts for another year, but the, the only thing that we have to do is we have to receive those gifts. Because we're drowning sometimes when we're trying to do all these things, right? We drowned for years trying to do all the things that were on our list to do, only to find out that he's offering. Man, he's offering gifts, he's offering righteousness, he's offering sanctification, he's offering love, he's offering rest. He's offering all those things. We just have to receive it during this season. Amen? Why don't you guys stand? We're going to pray over you, and you guys can come collect the coal that you want. So, Father, we thank you, God, for today. We thank you for your goodness. We speak life over each one. God, we thank you, God, for your gifts. We thank you, God, that you have sent us gifts. Help us to allow the Holy Spirit to remind us who we are during this season. Remind us we don't have to have everything perfect. We get to receive from you this season. We love you. We thank you, God. We trust in you today. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen, amen. amen.